Good evening. This is Heartstock Radio. I am your host, Carol Murphy. So lucky to be here and share our guest today with you, Stephanie Benedetto, who is the CEO of The Queen of Raw. In just a moment, Stephanie is going to join us and share a lot. Remember that you can find us on Facebook. You can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. Really enjoying this beautiful sunny day here in beautiful Butte. And just a moment, Stephanie will be with us to tell you all about what she is up to. Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock. is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Our guest today is Stephanie Benedetto. She's the CEO of The Queen of Raw. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? We're fantastic. My goodness, it is spring in Montana, for goodness sakes. It, it's just about as good as it gets, I'll tell you what. You're speaking with us from New York. Yes, indeed, New York City. And how is it there? For goodness sakes. You know, it is getting warmer. And, uh, you know, the beauty of New York is the community that New York is. So I know despite the circumstances that everyone will come together and, and we'll pull through this. Mm-hmm. You've been hit hard and it's yes. really brought to light a lot of issues specifically related to your enterprise. Can you give our listeners just a little intro here of what it is that you do at the Queen of Raw? Absolutely. So Queen of Raw is a global marketplace for fashion brands and retailers to be able to buy and sell their unused textiles, that fabrics that sits on warehouses collecting dust, or we know it gets burned or sent to landfill. We want to give them a platform to monetize it and to obviously turn that pollution into profit. You're exactly right. In light of what's going on right now with COVID-19, I think it's brought these issues front and center for everyone around the world, personally and professionally. We've seen what happens when supply chains break down, when we have dependencies on certain regions of the world for goods that are then impacted by a disruption. What happens to the planet and sustainability when we slow down a little bit and things do start to improve? I think all of these issues are coming to light now and it gives us a good opportunity to do better for all of us in the future. Yeah, especially when all of those supply chain items are in one basket, so to speak, and that region gets hit, then we all have no supplies. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit before we delve into deeply into the Queen of Raw. What is your background and what influences have you had that led to the founding of Queen of Ra? 
Well, funny enough, my family has actually been in the fashion and textiles business for over 100 years in New York. So it's definitely in my blood. I grew up hearing the stories from my great-grandfather and my grandfather of the way they did business. And it really inspired me. What did they do? They were immigrants from Austria. They passed through Ellis Island and they settled into the Lower East Side in New York, the original garment district. And they had to make a living. They're chasing the American dream. So they found materials and supplies lies nearby, old fabrics and furs and things that the immigrants had brought over on ships with them but weren't using anymore. And they would repurpose it by hand with minimal waste and minimal toxins because their bottom dollar depended on it. And they created the most beautiful haute couture fashion garments that they sold to local customers. And many of these beautiful fur coats I still wear today. And it's funny because, of course, they wouldn't have talked about it as sustainability, but at the end of the day, that's very much what it was. And so kind of our vision with Queen of Roy is how can we use technology to get back to the way my great-grandfather did business, which made sense for people, it made sense for a planet, and it absolutely made sense for a business's profit. Funny enough, before I founded Queen of Raw, I actually didn't do the family route originally. I was on Wall Street as a corporate attorney, but I did specialize in fashion technology and sustainability. And, you know, being raised in a predominantly female household and going to an all-women's school, I kind of always felt empowered and wanted to build a business and go change the world. So after that time on Wall Street, when the market kind of crashed, I took that as my opportunity to go out on my own. And I had a prior startup to Queen of Raw where I started seeing firsthand all these massive issues around supply chain waste, stuff that was just not getting used, that was burned or landfilled all the time and wasted. It just didn't make sense to me. And, and that's really kind of what the impetus was to try to solve this challenge. And how much waste is there in the fashion industry? Can you give us like just some, I don't know, some statistical numbers that we can wrap our head around? It is so massive, and I think it, for many it is tough to wrap your head around it, especially if you haven't paid attention to it before, which why would many people have? Um, in, so if you think about it, the textiles industry is actually a trillion dollar industry and growing. And of that, fashion is the vast majority of who consumes textiles every single, single day. And if you think of it, textiles, they're everywhere. They touch all of us every single day everywhere in the world. And so, you know, it's this massive industry that has just been built upon doing more and more and faster and faster. And when you drill down into it, it actually ends up that 15% of every single production run of textiles ends up as waste. And in, when you quantify it, we have done our own independent research and analysis around the world, and it's actually to the tune of $120 billion with a B of unused textiles gets wasted every single year. So really, really massive, both economically for businesses, but also for people and planet. It has a significant impact. But in that, there's obviously opportunity, because if we can look at solutions to help solve that, we literally can solve the world's water crisis, its power. In the first place, my mind goes when you start talking about all of the waste is recycling. How yes. does what you're involved with compare to recycling and why is it important? So recycling is definitely one of the pieces. When you look at circular economy and all the different ways that you can keep resources in circulation for longer, which is the basic principle of circular economy, um, recycling is a very important piece of that. 
but so is reuse, repurpose, repair, all these re's, things that you can do to materials to elongate their lifetime. And what we looked at was there was a lot of platforms around the world, and they're great ones everyone may be familiar with, like you know Depop and StockX and ThreadUp and the Real Real, right? And they're all doing incredible work with finished goods and reselling them to people around the world at a great discount. So why why wouldn't you want to buy on these platforms? But nobody seemed to be paying attention up the supply chain to what is known as the pre-consumer waste. And that is the fabrics on walls that haven't yet been turned into things. And the fact is when we looked at this supply chain issue around the world, a lot of the reasons we believe that there's all these waste with finished goods down the supply chain is because of systemic issues with supply chains up the chain and what these pre-consumer waste. And so we kind of took the position that if we can solve these issues up the chain, hopefully we can also help minimize waste down the chain. And with our platform, the beauty of it is you don't need to do anything to these fabrics. These brands and retailers are sitting on it around the world and it is in mint condition and nothing needs to happen to it. It's just ready to be monetized and sold it as a discount. So another maker, crafter, quilter, tinker, or big brand and retailer can turn it into something beautiful. And we work with everyone from small to large. And it's awesome to see the incredible creations that people are able to make out of what would have been burned or landfilled. So uh, it, it's exciting to see it happen. And I imagine these are textile companies that are just sitting on the goods and I'm wondering why, why do they just have surplus of odds and ends that aren't being used? We ask ourselves that all the time. I think inevitably in any supply chain, whether it's textiles or anything else, there is waste that is gonna be created. Specific to the textile industry, the mills that actually make the fabrics, they usually produce like three to 5% or more of a particular order, just in case there are any errors or changes in amounts needed or issues, they always produce extra. And then when you take that fabric from the mill and you send it to a factory to actually make that garment, when they cut the garment out of the fabric, there is always waste that's created there. That's actually where the most amount of waste is created. And then because these brands and retailers are ordering in the, you know, the old school way of doing business, you would order months to years out in advance of what you needed and all that forecasting and planning. Of course, you're going to have changes in the inventory you need, the color, the style. So inevitably, they end up sitting on waste as well that they purchased, but when they make those changes. So for all these reasons, this waste just compounds, compounds, and nobody paid attention to it. Um, but now people realize just how much is out there and how significant this is and that we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of COVID-19 and all of the change orders that are happening in retail now. How is this impacting what you're doing? Are you flooded with merchandise? Great question. You know, COVID-19 has had a massive impact on all of us around the world. And for sure, it has brought to light the amount of unused inventory that brands and retailers are sitting on, of course, because now they don't have their retail stores open. E-commerce predictions are a little bit different than they thought. People, you know, shopping behaviors have changed. And they're they're literally missing collections and, and fashion weeks and shows. So there's a lot of changes that are happening. But In that, despite the negatives of the circumstances, I always try to look at the positive and to see that there is incredible opportunity here because everyone has slowed down a little bit. Brands and retailers have the opportunity to, of course, right now, they need to cut costs and save money. Well, guess what? 
this dead stock unused inventory, they're sitting on a gold mine. This is an opportunity to save and make money. And then they can put it back into their workers and their supply chain to continue to survive and thrive through COVID-19. So absolutely, we've seen a huge uptick in the amount of inventory that have been we've been onboarding every day. In addition, of course, it's not just about selling materials, but the opportunity to turn around and buy materials. And funny enough, we we're working on deals of up to a million yards or more in dead stock around the world. It isn't just scraps off a cutting room floor. There is large volume here. And why would one of these big brands or retailers want to turn around and buy it today? Well, because they still can need to fill orders, whether it's for PPE or otherwise. And with dead stock, they can find what they need, when they need it, at the right price, located where they're manufacturing. So it has opportunities both to be bought and to be sold in, in today's time. Obviously, that's the immediate concern that we're addressing. But we also have an opportunity here, while things have slowed down a bit for the world's supply chains, to help businesses think through what does the future supply chain look like? And how can we do better both for people for planet, but also for profit. And with dead stock inventory, there's a real opportunity here for businesses to think about how can we start to make our time periods of our supply chain a little more on demand, localized, in real time, responding to what our customers want so we actually can minimize waste streams going forward. I think that's the beauty of where we're going. When you say on demand, can you kind of help our listeners understand how that might be different from how some... Uh, supply chains are currently working in fashion and textiles. Absolutely. Right now, I mean, supply chains are massive. To get that clothing to you and on your body takes hundreds of steps across the globe. Metric tons of water, chemical, crops, oil, all used in the process. And because it's gone so fast, the way people and things have been moving through these supply chains, it's just gotten to a point as we see now that's unsustainable for all the obvious reasons. The future supply chain, and I think where we're going is, instead of producing things with hundreds of steps and moving goods all over the world, could we start to create in certain regions of the world our own internal supply chains? For example, something made in the US where all the goods are found in the United States to make that product. Could it be manufactured in the United States by the workers? And then could it be sold to the US customer who has the US tastes and styles that they're looking for? And can you do it short time period, say in a couple months or even pre-order things and have your customers buy something and be able to get it very quickly after? And then you have minimized massively the amount of waste that's produced. You're much more accurate in your forecasting and your numbers because you're actually producing on demand for what the customer just ordered and you know how many of those goods were ordered. You're supporting local economies. And if we can set that up in different regions of the world, instead of shipping things all over the place and predicting things years in advance, I think the whole fashion industry model will work much better mm-hmm. and lead to much happier consumers because you'll get what you want when you want it and the style you want and, and quickly. Mm-hmm. It's a whole paradigm shift that would greatly enhance the sustainability for sure. Absolutely. Yes. So we're at that midway point. We're going to take a quick music break and we shall be back with Stephanie Benedetto, Queen of Raw.
This is Heartstock Radio, and I'm your host, Carol Murphy. As usual, Clark Grant is here, and he's keeping us in order. And yeah, thank goodness. Today, our guest is Stephanie Benedetto, and she is the CEO, Queen of Raw. Hi again, Stephanie. How are you? Good to be back. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a brief history here of your company and, and what stage you're at? And you've had some pretty incredible recognition already. Well, thank you so much. We always say what appears to some to be, you know, overnight successes are really like six plus years in the making. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Queen of Raw actually was an idea in my head over six years ago, and I was very fortunate at that point to meet my CTO and co-founder, Phil Durasmo, at General Assembly, which is a great tech hub in New York City for meeting awesome, cool, innovative people in technology. And I knew I needed a strong technical co-founder. We sat down at a Starbucks in Manhattan near General Assembly and kind of mapped out on a napkin what this solution would look like. I told him about all this waste I was seeing. He actually came from a family with a background as well in fashion. And it, you know, we we looked at what it would look like, what the marketplace would need, what kind of tools we need to support this community and to understand why it hadn't been done before. And like I said, that was over six years ago and the rest is her story or history. Um, we, uh, you know, we all had prior businesses. And so the timing was not like it is now. And, and we knew we needed to get to a certain point where the industry was ready for this kind of a solution. So we started doing our due diligence, learning about our customers and their pain points in this issue of waste for them. But we actually didn't launch the platform until 2018. And we were very fortunate. We went through the Techstars Accelerator, which gave us an incredible pre-seed funding and, and recognition and support for our business model. And then we started going to marketplace. And, and to anyone who may be in early stages of thinking of an idea, I always recommend leveraging the incredible competitions that are out there. There are a ton, and especially now for women in sustainability and women in technology. We were able to leverage those, including the WeWork Creator Awards, where we had 60 seconds to pitch Ashton Kutcher, our entire business model. And to do it in 60 seconds was not an easy task, but it is one of the most valuable things I have ever done in my business. We were fortunate to win, but to have that 60-second pitch has been so valuable to us ever since. And those competitions and awards, they come with opportunities for funding. They come with press and, and recognition and strategic partnerships and community and support. And we absolutely wouldn't be where we are today with, without having had that and, uh, and being able to support that. So as we've been growing the marketplace, we realize that in addition to having a marketplace and matching these buyers and sellers around unused materials, that there was a lot more we could actually offer our community, especially for our big enterprise customers. So we built some very interesting tools, leveraging some kind of very new technology around blockchain and machine learning AI to be able to tell them really awesome things like in real time, the amount of water, the toxins, the energy, and the dollars that they saved by the actions that they take across Queen of Raw. And now where we're going with it is not only does the brand or retailer get all that powerful data, but they're actually going to be able to connect it to the product that you as a consumer are buying, and you'll have all that story, and you'll know that this was rescued dead stock from Queen of Raw, and that by purchasing this, you just saved X amount in water toxins and energy. And I think that kind of a connected 
end-to-end supply chain is really powerful and is where we're going. And it's an age where we're examining, you know, the very basic concepts and ideas of business models. In your opinion, what do we need to do here? You know, big picture view of business models that work and ways that we can become more sustainable. Without question, I think that in the future, we're going to get rid of the word sustainable because it it is a powerful word, but it means so many things to so many people. At the end of the day, I think it's just going to be the way good business is done. And I mean by that is that all business models are going to be able to show how much they are benefiting people and planet as well as profit. I think that is 100% the triple bottom line that is so critical to what consumers are demanding, especially millennials and Gen Zs, but really everyone now in light of COVID um, is seeing the, the power of what's going on. And the future business model is gonna have to support them. And, and so many businesses for so long, were starting to look at issues of sustainability and problems they may have with their business and challenges, but they didn't really know where to start or or how to even address this, or even if they were doing good things, how to talk about them and quantify them. And I think all of this with a lot of awesome businesses that are getting started around this movement out there and some we're, we're incredibly proud to work with and know are all looking at these issues to help automate this and make this quicker and easier for future business models. But it goes without saying that looking at what has has happened with the real real and thread up and rent the runway and the list goes on right they are business models around the recycle reuse repurpose renting all of those and i do think that that's a big part of the future and it's not just going to be for these businesses but big brands and retailers are also going to be able to get in on these opportunities have partnerships with these kinds of marketplaces and monetize this as well and then for everyone It's a win-win-win. And so as an end consumer, a lot of people ask us, well, what do I do? How do I know what I'm purchasing and what decisions to make? And, you know, it's it's kind of simple. I go by the basic rule of thumb, two, two rules. One is, of course, you think about every purchase that you make. One less T-shirt a year that you buy can actually save 700 gallons of water, which is what it takes to produce it. And it can save another 700 gallons of water, which is what it takes to wash that shirt in its lifetime. So by purchasing one less shirt a year, that's it. You've just saved 1,400 gallons of water. And if everyone around the world did that, I mean, that can literally solve the world's water crisis right now. But putting that aside, if you are going to buy those shirts, just take a look at the label. You know, we read a lot about the ingredients of the food that we put in our body. Go by the same thinking and look at the label of what you're going to put on your body. And if the label has some, you know, materials in it that you can't read, that you can't spell, that look kind of complicated, well, chances are that there are some synthetics in there that you may not want to be touching your skin and your body all day long. And, you know, those are just some kind of easy rules of thumb to help us all do a little bit better. You talked about supply chain already a little bit and things that we can do to help improve the the way the whole system works when it comes to supply chain. And, you know, when you were talking about your great-great-grandfather and we used to make everything here. <laughs> the things that we needed to make things, we could buy them here, like masks or test kits or cotton swabs. 
It, yeah. It's like all of that has just disappeared, and it makes me honestly, I have to confess, a little crazy. <laughs> I don't get yep. it. It's like, how did this happen, and why did we let it happen? How, how can we, how can we move forward and do better? Well, I think despite the COVID-19 negatives of these circumstances, as we've kind of talked about, there is huge opportunity here as we are slowing down to think about the future that we want. And if bringing manufacturing back to U.S. and made in U.S. is important, now is the time for to start thinking about it, for the startups that we are building to start empowering and supporting that, and for the big brands and retailers to look at reshoring opportunities and building up more of their supply chains in the U.S. And they've slowed down enough now where they do have that opportunity to look at and see what does that look like? How can I build that up? And how can I put that into my current business plan and build out that supply chain? There are already incredible groups and organizations that are doing this in the United States to help support this movement, but it's only going to get stronger coming out of that. We're actually part of a consortium in New York City backed by government, including some mayors and some enterprise corporations and not-for-profits that in the coming weeks will be putting out a white paper um, proposing to make New York City circular in the coming years. And as part of this white paper, it's not just about changing the laws and slapping businesses with millions of dollars in liability on the books. But the beauty in the future is it's going to be what are the solutions here within New York City and the United States that can help support businesses that they can turn to to offset that coming legal liability. And I think you're going to see more of that coming in the U.S. And that will open up some great opportunities to, to bring back some of that valuable manufacturing. And, um, you know, the other piece of that is that the U.S., we have some incredible in New York and California and all over the U.S., incredible people working in technology as well. And I think we can leverage those technology tools and people in order to bring back even more interesting manufacturing and supply chain opportunities as well. Can you envision that the United States has a textile industry as it did once? Yeah, no, without question. Absolutely. I think anything is possible, though. So there, I mean, there are still parts in the Carolinas and elsewhere where we are still manufacturing. And obviously some of it has been slowed down, but there's no reason why with right money and resources, which are here, we can't build that back up. Just people have to want it. And I think they're starting to see it and want it, especially in light of what's going on today. Yeah. And a little piece that kind of plays in is that it's great to buy things as cheap as humanly possible, but with that comes a price. And if we bring it back to the United States and more things are made here, do you think the consumer is actually prepared to pay more for it? The beauty of it is it might not be more. In fact, if you mm. leverage dead stock textiles like ours that are readily available here, and if you're not shipping things all over the world anymore, it actually might end up being the same price or even cheaper. And mm. I think that's where we're going. Yeah, you know, they changed the laws as far as hemp goes here in Montana yes. recently. Lots of people wanting to grow hemp, but then to process it into a textile, we don't have that infrastructure. And no. that's... That's a problem. It's, you know. Not yet, but I know some people working in that space. So it, mm -hmm. well, like I said, all of this is possible and it's coming. And I, I think that's the beauty of the future that we can all believe in and support each other and where we're going. Mm -hmm. I love it. So how might listeners find you? They want to continue on with this conversation and, and learn more. 
I would absolutely welcome it. I am at Stephanie at queenofraw.com. And I always give out as well my cell phone. You're welcome to call me, 203-981-6993. We're here, we're available, and together we can change the world. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're giving out your phone number. I have to say that you're the first guest that has ever done that. And it's impressive. Thank you. This is Heartstock Radio, and we've been speaking with Stephanie Benedetto of the Queen of Raw. Thank you so much. Uh, privileged to be here. Thanks for listening. We shall see you next week. Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5, Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. That time will take you.